All right, let's watch the world burn with this one, my dear. In today's episode, we're going to be talking about why functional medicine sucks sometimes. And I say this as somebody who fell in love with this profession many years ago. And I still, when I'm tasked to tell people what I do for a living, sometimes I will say I do functional medicine. But um, I think in this episode, we're going to discuss many of the reasons why I have distanced myself from that term Mm. in recent years, personally. Yeah, I would say I've definitely distanced myself from functional medicine as well. And it's a real shame just because at its core, it's what we practice. I mean, we're we're very root-focused. We're peeling back different layers of someone's IBS history and trying to figure out the factors that are going to make the most difference. Um, But in reality, most functional providers are not practicing the fundamental tenets of what functional medicine is supposed to be, which is very roots focused, Um, you know, looking past symptoms and trying to dig deeper. It sort of has morphed into similar problems that you see in the conventional medicine world you see in the functional medicine space where it's just someone taking 20 supplements so that their symptoms feel better um or but again i think that the other big issue from a dietetics standpoint is the total the total lack of focusing on nourishing the body it tends to be the functional medicine space talks a lot about nutrition, but doesn't actually nourish people for the most part. Again, this is speaking broadly. So I'm sure there are some great functional medicine providers that are focusing on solid nutrition. But again, a lot of people, they're not the norm. It's so sad. Yeah. And we could preface this episode. Let's cover our butts with this one. Okay. There's going to be good, bad, and mediocre in every single profession on planet Earth. Yes. So I don't care if we're talking about plumbers or teachers or surgeons or functional medicine doctors or physical therapists. I don't care. There's going to be good, bad, and in between for all of those professions. But we are going to talk about some of the patterns that we have observed in this particular field over the years and why it is concerning to us, and it should be concerning to you as consumers. And we're actually, we're not going to deter you from going to work with a functional medicine doctor. But I think that you need to go in with your eyes and ears wide open, and you Mm. need to know how to spot the bullshit should it present itself, so that you don't accidentally dig yourself into a deeper hole. And that's what oftentimes can happen is that people go in with good expectations and and good, you know, hopes and energy, and they are compliant and they listen to the practitioner and they do what the practitioner says and they don't realize that they're getting worse. And it, it just, it's a really messy place to be. So what I would like to start this conversation with, I kind of have some some notes broken down by topic, but what I want to start with is like, what does functional medicine actually mean? Mm-hmm. And then talk a little bit about how one could become a functional medicine doctor or practitioner. Like, mm-hmm. you know, is, is there a schooling? Is there a path forward? Um, if somebody off the street came up to you and said, 
define functional medicine right now, what do you think that you would define it as? That's a that's a great question. I mean, I sort of view it as a system of thinking where you're digging to root causal issues versus treating symptoms. That's supposed to be again the the philosophy at the core, I would say. Yeah. Um but to your point or just talking about this more, I I think that the functional medicine world is the wild west. <laughs> it's I don't really, I think anyone can really say they're a holistic provider, they're functional, or this or that. And again, there's different trainings, or you could get different certifications and things like that. But there really isn't, there really isn't much regulation, which again, sometimes in the conventional space, I think the regulation is problematic in a lot of ways. But it it is good to sort of have some scope of practice and And, like some consistency but I I just think in the functional space there's a lack of consistency of like standards and ethics and that sort of stuff I mean you have the bigger organizations um, but you know I do think that it's very wild westy which is different than the conventional space which seems more highly regulated um and it's yeah. it's more straightforward. Yeah, it's it's a bit more cut and dry, maybe we could say, on the conventional side. Um, mm-hmm. And honestly, this this piece of the the topic here, this could be the blessing and the curse of this profession. <laughs> yeah. On the one hand, there is a lot of flexibility, and there are different avenues that you can come in from. And functional medicine can be practiced by different types of providers. So like you're a registered dietitian, I'm a chiropractor, there are MDs, there are nurse practitioners, there are, Mm. you know, a, a wide variety of healthcare professionals who can say that they do functional medicine. And that Mm. on the one hand is really beautiful. But on the other hand, it means that when your cousin Mildred in Milwaukee went to a functional medicine provider and was cured of her lupus, that doesn't mean you're going to get the same experience when you go to a functional medicine provider in Cincinnati or wherever. So it's, it's tricky because like, on the one hand, we need some degree of standardization so that we can kind of like market as a whole and we know what to expect as a consumer when we go ser- searching out this product or the service. But mm. on the other hand, I, I personally have a big problem with the one and only attempt to standardize this field, which is the Institute for Functional Medicine. The mm. IFM, <laughs> this is going to be such a problematic episode. Everyone's going to hate our guts after this, especially <laughs> me, because I'm going to be the worst <laughs> here. But the IFM, in my opinion, is really basic bitch stuff. Mm. Like it's, painful. I went to, I've been to two of their seminars and both of them, I was bored out of my ever loving mind and it was so basic, but the MDs and the DOs and the people in the room who were predominantly conventional medical providers who were trying to make the switch, they were like mind blown. So I, I still remember to this day. So I went, the first one I went to of theirs was the GI module. So it was mm. three days uh, I'll never forget, Scottsdale, Arizona. It was three days talking about the GI system. And I was like, oh man, this is going to be great. And they're the best. They're like the most expensive and mm. the most 
acclaimed of the functional medicine institutions. I was like, this is gonna right. be great. And I was texting my friend all excitedly. And then the entire three days, I was bored out of my skull. And I vividly remember the teacher or whoever up on the stage, and they did a presentation, I kid you not. And the presentation was basically like, here's a paper that says celiac disease exists. And everybody in the room was like, whoa. <laughs> He's like, here's another paper that suggests maybe people without celiac disease have a problem with gluten sometimes, and it can cause problems. And everybody in the room was like, no way. <laughs> right, right. And then it was like, here's another paper that says probiotics work. And everybody was like, you're kidding me. (laughs) (laughs) And I was drooling. I was was like, I'm going to date myself here, but I was on my Blackberry. (laughs) Like, yeah, trying to text my friend. I was like, when are they going to get to the good stuff? I'm so bored. I'm waiting for the good stuff. And then that progressed for three whole days. But I would go out in the hallway and everybody, I would talk to people. I'd be like, so what do you think of the conference so far? And every single person was like, this is incredible. This is amazing. I can't believe it. This is the most stupendous advanced thing ever. And I was just like, okay, but here's the thing. And I don't, somebody's going to comment and say, I'm an ego maniac and I'm a jerk, but I'm not saying this to say like, I'm smarter than everybody in that room. My point is, this is the one and only organization that's trying to standardize the education, and they are certifying doctors. Like, when you go to an IFM-certified doctor, Hmm. they've gone through this basic bitch program, Hmm. and they have a very, very rudimentary surface-level understanding of these topics But then they have this inflated sense of confidence and they have an accolade. They have a certification and they paid like $35,000 to get through all these courses and do the certification. And they go out into the world totally confident that they can heal the world of everything. And it's like your understanding of the GI system is probiotics work and gluten sensitivity is a real thing. Like, are you really equipped to help these people who have really serious conditions and like dysbiosis and SIBO and motility issues? I personally don't think so. I I tend to steer clear of IFM certified people personally. But, mm. you know, it's it's like the IFM is trying to develop this chokehold or this monopoly on the profession and they're charging through the nose to do it. Their seminars are god awful expensive, but they're also very piss poor quality versus you know, some of the best seminars I've been to, and here, this is this is a problem too. Some of the best seminars I've been to have been put on by supplement companies. Yeah. And that's fine if you can go in understanding that the supplement company is trying to sell you their supplements. Right. And you have to use your noggin and you have to weed out, okay, how much of this is marketing versus how much of this is actually good, usable information. But right. not everybody is going to go in with that mentality and they're going to get suckered into using a line of supplements or particular supplements that are overinflated in some of these seminars. But there, there's a lot of functional medicine education that comes from supplement companies and lab companies that are standing to make a profit off of the sale of their product. And so it's like, you're damned if you do, damned if you don't. Right. right? It's, it's like the big pharma of... Yes, <laughs> it's the big pharma of the functional medicine space is the supplement and the lab companies and yes. no one really no one really equates the two, but it's the same. It's, it's the, the exact same. same. 
Yeah. When I had a brick and mortar office, especially, I would get lab reps who would come to my office. So usually they were good about emailing or calling ahead of time. But sometimes I would get lab reps who would come unannounced and they would just right. be like, hi, is the doctor in? Can I tell you about this panel of stuff that we offer? And then yeah. similarly, I would get supplement sales reps and they would book a call or they would book an appointment to speak on the phone or come in person. And they would sit there with the catalog and they would go through the catalog with you. And they yeah. would talk about, well, what kind of patients do you see? And oh, you should get this leaky gut product. And it's not anything against them. It's just that the per the person that those reps are talking to should be aware that they're trying to sell to you and you should have like the bullshit radar and the critical thinking skills to know when you're being sold to and what you're going to take and what you're going to leave and you should be able to you know take take the good things from that conversation and leave the bad things but i feel like that that like bullshit radar and that critical thinking skill is not always there and people, practitioners get suckered into using a lot more supplements and a lot more labs because they have shiny marketing and a nice sales pitch and a really nice sales rep, but it's not as clinically useful as maybe they've been led to believe. Yeah. But it's absolutely I, just like big pharma. Well, and I think you compound that with everyone's frustration with the conventional space. So you confound that with someone being totally let down by going to the GI doc, being sort of told they're, they have IBS and like you could take Metamucil for your IBSC and like that's the only option. So they're like, well, that sucked. I waited three months for the appointment, paid $2,000 for the scope, and I really don't have much information or a way forward. Oh my gosh. And then there's this functional medicine space that seems like the answer and it's so different and they're focusing on the root cause. So they come in with just this like high hope. And I do think they're, I think sometimes people come into the functional space a little blinded by, oh, it's so different. I know I did when I came in, I was like, this is so much better than the conventional space. Like it's, they're focusing on the right things. And like, I'm so gung ho and pumped about this. And I think that that compounds some of the issues with, that we're already talking about with the providers going on in the background is that people come in with this high hope that it is the answer and some of their skepticism or their bullshit radar might go down a little bit. And again, I think the, the thing we're really fundamentally saying is that you should be thinking critically when you go see a provider. There's some good ones. There's some bad Anyone. ones. Right. Exactly. So even us, if you come even work us, with one of us, for sure. For like, sure. If we say something that's fishy or doesn't sit right with you, please say something. Right. 100%. 100%. So yeah, I, I, I agree. Like, I think that you should always sort of be critically thinking. Whether yeah. it's a functional provider or a conventional provider, um, you know, if, if you're not feeling aligned or you do have sort of some skepticism, like try to, try to fish it out a little bit tell again the provider that this doesn't make sense or like, what is this for? I, I'm confused. Try to make sure you're on yeah. the same page and that you're feeling confident and whoever provider you're working with, whether it's conventional or functional. But I think it usually requires a degree of critical thinking versus just blind, like, oh, this person's functional, so they must be yeah. doing the right things. or Because I, I felt maybe a little bit of that at the beginning. 
but then, you know, I definitely think you wise up at some point. And then I think typically by the time people find us, they're very skeptical. They could be very skeptical of all providers. Yeah, it's the opposite. They swung right. the other direction then. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It, you know, God, there's there's so much to unpack in this episode. Um, I I think one of the things that comes to mind too, and I guess it's tangentially related here, it's all kind of a mishmash in this episode anyway, is the term green allopathy. Mm, yep. Um, which is a term that basically means that you're still practicing allopathic medicine or conventional medicine, but you're doing it in like a greener way, but you're still kind of using the same framework. And I find that that's another really big problem here. And it again, it's one of those things that you could kind of pick up on after a while and you see the pattern of bullshit. And, you know, it's like, is your provider actually talking about the unsexy basics like the free or the cheap or the lifestyle things like meditation exercise getting some sunshine connecting socially stress management sleep hygiene are they talking about those things that don't earn them any additional money or are they only talking about the labs and the supplements and the fancy schmancy things that you need them for Right. And that's kind of one piece of the bullshit radar, I guess. But, you know, green allopathy, it's like, okay, you could go to a conventional doctor and get metformin for your diabetes and Lipitor for your cholesterol Mm. and an SSRI for your depression. Or you go to a functional doctor and they're going to give you berberine for your diabetes, uh, you know, red yeast, rice extract for your for your cholesterol and st john's wort for your depression and it's like are you really doing anything that radically different or that radically superior when you just swap out the prescription stuff for the green stuff right the thing is maybe like maybe some of those things could be better and it's still a step in the right direction but i think that green allopathy which is almost always what is practiced by this profession in my observation of it now Mm. um you know being really protocol driven and really supplement driven i don't think that's actually different than allopathic medicine yeah at the end of the day and i can't tell you the millions of times that i've seen in professional facebook forums like functional medicine facebook forums the number of times every single day that somebody goes on one of those forums and says What's your best protocol for candida? What's your SIBO protocol? What's your depression protocol? What's your cardiovascular protocol? What's your kidney stone protocol? And Mm -hmm. like, I'm sick of hearing the word protocol now, or I I guess I'm sick of reading the word protocol because there shouldn't be a protocol. Right. (laughs) At the end of the day, like I get that maybe they mean I'm going to do all the other holistic stuff too. But if you have a particular supplement that's really good for kidney stones, please let me know. Right. Like that would be a different conversation, but yeah, you know, it's like, okay, in medical school, you learn what drug do you prescribe for a UTI? What drug do you prescribe for depression? And when you come to a practitioner forum and you say, give me your UTI protocol or your depression protocol, you're, you're still in like that mental lane mm-hmm. of thinking that you're mm-hmm. looking for just, you know, a chapter in a book, a sticky note, and you could just memorize this protocol and you could apply it to every single person who has a kidney stone for the rest of your days as a clinician. Again, I think that that is very different. And that's what typically gets done in this profession versus, okay, I'm still going to see the whole person. 
no matter what their diagnosis, if they have shitty sleep, I'm going to work on their sleep. No matter what their diagnosis, if they're not getting enough fiber, we're going to work on getting dietary fiber. But in addition to that, if I have a kidney kidney stone specific supplement, I might as well throw that into the mix. Like that's a different conversation. But I find that that's very rarely practiced. Yeah, I wholeheartedly agree. And, you know, the thing that shocks me working with all the clients that I've worked with over the last five or six years is that I don't know if I can list one person that had a provider actually assess their nutrition. So they're prescribing all these restrictive diets, but they're not assessing what that looks like for the person or making sure that the person's getting enough nutrition in. And it, it's actually really scary to me that that's going on at such a high frequency because, you know, I see people that are malnourished, really. I mean, and it's really dangerous that they're prescribing these highly restrictive diets without much training, um, without acknowledging the risk for disordered eating and malnutrition. Um, but yeah, I would say it's really rare for me to see to, for me to assess someone's nutrition and see that they're they're meeting their calorie needs. And I would say it's more rare to, or it's it's also, again, rare, even if someone is meeting their calorie needs, to, to not have something we have to work on nutritionally. Um, but yeah, it's that is what really freaks me out about the functional space, too, is just the total lack of respect for nutrition as a whole. Um, And, you know, it's people can't get better if that's not taken care of. Again, you could prescribe all the supplements in the world and maybe it helps symptoms a little bit. But if someone's wildly under eating, they could see 10 different providers. I've seen that again so many times. They've seen five, 10 different providers and no one's looked at their nutrition and they've lost weight like it's obvious like okay this person's lost 30 pounds like why isn't anyone trying to focus on nutrition um and it's just again it 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 breaks my heart honestly because you know I was in that cycle too a little bit with some of my functional providers and it's it's just so fundamental um and and again it's just it's rough and and I think again they're selling the promise like, oh, you don't have to work on nutrition outside of maybe doing a restrictive diet or you don't have to work on some of these things. You can just take a supplement. And well, that's the weird thing, though. I feel like if you talk to most functional people, though, I think that they will actually think that they're nutrition experts. Right. This is the weird thing. It's like they're in denial. They're in like some twilight zone place where <laughs> their perception does not match reality. No, honest to God. Yeah. Like, they... They will tell you until they're blue in the face, food is medicine, food is medicine, food has the power to heal. And they'll post something on social media of, you know, them picking a leaf out of the garden and holding it, whatever it might be. (laughs) But they, you know, and they might have one single IFM handout about eating a rainbow. But then what they actually do in their appointments, when you get into the nitty gritty and you get Mm. off of social media and you get off of like the shiny marketing that they lure you in with, the actual appointments, they're prescribing elimination diets. And there's a million different ones. Obviously, in this world, it's going to be low FODMAP or SCD or biphasic or something like that. 
But if you have an autoimmune condition, you could bet your rat's ass that you're going to be doing AIP. Right. And if you have, you know, any sort of allergic anything, you could bet your bottom dollar it's going to be the low histamine diet. But that's when everyone's no dairy, no gluten. Oh, they're evil. Straight up. And sugar is the bait of all of our existences. Sugar is sugar is like cocaine. Sugar actually. So did you know what it does actually? So um, (laughs) this is very proven research. So what happens when you eat sugar is it actually just like lights your body on fire. It just so there's there's a lighter in your big toe. And it (laughs) just it ignites that lighter and it just your whole body goes up in flames when you eat sugar. Yeah. And then you Seriously, die. It, <laughs> it, it, it makes me think of Mean Girls. You know, the, the gym teacher in Mean Girls who's oh, like, yeah. don't have sex or you will get syphilis and die. You're it right, makes me right. think of that. Um, yeah. If you guys couldn't tell, we are being facetious here. Right. But, but seriously, I have interacted with functional providers who will, honest to God, act like sugar is the absolute devil. And if you eat even a crumb of sugar, you are doing the devil's work. And gluten and dairy and soy and corn are right up there too. But, you know, I think my my biggest two, well, I have three primary beefs when it comes to nutrition with the functional medicine space. Hmm. A, you hit it on the head. They don't actually assess and they don't actually seem to care about whether or not you're nourished is one. So you could be ragingly deficient in a vitamin or a mineral or a macro or calories or fiber and they will be totally unaware and it's just it's not even on their radar to do Mm. that number two is they are stoking the flames of disordered eating and they are causing Mm. disordered eating like you wouldn't believe because of the elimination diets and the scare tactics that they use because sadly this is one of many professions that has found out that fear sells and they will try to scare the bejesus out of you to get you in the door and that you know, they're scaring the bejesus out of you on social media, in their Facebook ads, in, you know, their podcasts, whatever it might be, but, um, or in the, the discovery call or whatever, or the review of findings when you're going over your labs and they inflate the importance of the lab assessment that they did. And they tell you, Ooh, if you don't treat the SIBO, bad things are going to happen to you. Oh boy. Right. And it's, it's just really frustrating how much they use fear for marketing in this profession. Um, but, you know, with with regards to food, to circle back to that, I think that at the end of the day, functional providers, 99% of the time, they only teach you which foods to avoid and how to yeah. label foods as bad. Oh, these are the bad foods. You should avoid them. That's it. You're, right. that's all we need to do. Yeah. And they, I think that a lot of the functional practitioners that I've interacted with too have disordered even eating themselves. So that's just something to think about as well. And it does drive me nuts when providers will be super insistent that you eliminate all these foods or else you'll never get better. Like this mentality. And it's like, I think someone would be way better off, even if they were having some weird reaction to like dairy Or, like, again, like, if they were having some reactions to FODMAPs, if they had already done some FODMAP elimination, like, I'd much rather someone be eating some FODMAPs and maintaining nutrition. I think that's much less stressful on the body than if they're eliminating all these foods and becoming malnourished. Like, the the cost-benefit ratio is totally distorted. 
And, yeah, uh, you know, I it's insane, too. It kind of cracks me up. There's a really popular functional provider. I won't name name names. I'm not going to cause. Oh, I probably will at some point. Okay. You're you're more cordial than I am. You keep going, dear. So there's a really like everyone would know this person. Um, and more recently, I don't know what's going on with my algorithm. Like if I looked at one of her posts more for a long period of time, but all of a sudden she's like popping up on my feed all the time. Um, and she's sharing her meals. And like, to me, her meals do not seem very sufficient. You know, it's something that I notice a lot just when people post meals. Um, and again, I'm like, okay, this is your breakfast. Like, this doesn't look like it's sufficient. This is your lunch. This doesn't look sufficient. Like to me again, and I think it sends the message too. like, oh, this is sufficient. Um, for well, other people. even beyond that, this is perfect. This is right. ideal. Exactly. Because she's famous and she has accolades and she knows what she's doing and she's healthier than me. Therefore, right. this must be the ideal. Exactly. This is the goal. So it, again, it, 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 that kind of stuff drives me nuts because I'm like, what? That doesn't look right. Um, but yeah, it's the disordered eating stuff. Uh, you know, it's I've bad. seen it, I've seen it just cause, um, I would say years of uh, putting someone in a hole. Like it's not just yeah. like, oh, you're disordered eating for a period of time. Then you can just get off the diet. The mental, the mental place that you can get stuck in from food fears and disordered eating can just keep you stuck for a while. I mean, for me, I always think that my disordered eating took probably two years to totally resolve. And I would say that was pretty quick, like for some of the people. And I would say you know, the majority of it went away after six months, but it would come up in different situations like throughout the next two or so years. Oh, yeah. But, you know, it's... It, I, I don't see the conventional medical system typically in the IBS space doing anything super damaging in that way, like disordered eating. Like, no one's... Sometimes I'd much prefer someone coming from the conventional space being like... My doctor had me try like one round of rifaximin and, you know, some Metamucil didn't really work. Like I might have tried FODMAP for a little bit. Like I'd much rather someone come out of the conventional space without having tried a whole bunch of stuff. I, I always talk about this on discovery calls. Sometimes I'm like, oh, like I like that you haven't tried too much because we're not then having to dig you out of a hole. Yeah. But I, I would say rarely do I see GI docs digging someone into a bigger hole. Now they might not do anything, which is problematic too. Like it's like, oh, we don't know. Bye, which is also problematic and leads people to the functional medicine space. So, you know, there's so many problems there as well, but I don't see them driving so much dysfunction because of the fear that that is surrounded by some of these diets, um, yeah. which is just well, something I think important to point out when you're kind of comparing the two ends it's like you can crap on conventional medicine all the time but at least they're not creating disordered eating malnutrition in IBS clients right and left yeah no I, I think that's a really valid point and I agree with you I think if I if I had my pick of two people to work with and I could only pick one and one person is like fresh out of conventional medicine 
They right. had a, you know, they're like, oh, I went to Whole Foods and I got a probiotic once, but I don't know if it worked for me. But otherwise, they've kind of done like the conventional sort of stuff versus somebody who's been to 10 different functional medicine doctors. Right. I'm going to go with the person from the conventional world 100% of the time because they don't have as many bullshit beliefs and like food fears and disordered eating and like anxiety mm. kind of issues. And again, it there's like the disordered eating, labeling foods as bad and then teaching you how to avoid them. And heaven forbid you go to your functional provider and you haven't been compliant with the diet that they recommended. Oh, that's when they crank up the fear to 11 and they try to scare the pants off of you. I had one lady, um, functional provider did food sensitivity testing with her. And one of the foods that came up was eggs. So he sent her home and said, Hey, cut out these foods and let's see how you do. Now, this is a patient with IBS who I will tell you hundred percent stress is a huge player for her. Um, she went home, she complied with a lot of it. She cut out a lot of the foods, but she knew in her heart of hearts, she never had an issue with eggs and she felt good eating eggs. And I believe broccoli might've been the other one. And she goes in for her next appointment and he asks, how was the elimination diet? And she said, good. And it basically, it came out that she was still eating some eggs. I kid you not. And this is a guy who otherwise I respect a lot. And I think he's really smart, but this really pisses me off. He told this woman with a straight face that egg protein cross-react with a protein in the brain. And, oh, didn't your mother have really bad Alzheimer's? And aren't you terrified of getting Alzheimer's? Well, if you eat eggs, that protein cross-reacts with with a protein in the brain, and you're going to put yourself at a higher risk of dementia. Wow. <laughs> right, right, right. So then she goes and she completely eliminates eggs and she's right. panicked. Absolutely. Right. Like eggs and equal then, dementia. So yeah. And Alzheimer's so like, the I'm thing not going to touch those. More than anything in the world. Yeah. Right. Then she comes and works with me and we get talking about nutrition and nourishment and it comes out well, yeah, I, I knew all along I never had an issue with eggs. Anytime I ate eggs, I felt fine. My IBS never flared when I ate those. So I brought up the idea of, well, why don't we reintroduce eggs? And she was scared shitless because yeah. this practitioner, who, again, very brilliant. I, I think he's a good guy also. Like, I've actually, I know him personally. I think he's a good guy, and I think he's very smart. But he scared the pants off of her, and she remembered it years later, and she... Last I knew, she was still struggling to add in eggs. And it just, it really boggles the mind that people think that this is okay. Yeah. And again, you know, you see it on social media. If you follow anybody in the functional space and you follow them on Instagram or whatever, a lot of them are very fiery. Now, I will say to name one name, but in a positive light, and, and I don't, I wouldn't say that I follow his stuff a ton these days, just because like, who has the time? But I don't remember Ruskio being super fear mongery with his stuff. Yeah, I don't think so. I, and I give him credit for that. I don't think that he's one to feed into the fear stuff. And I think that he's quite a bit more aware of, right. of like these pros and cons and drawbacks and stuff. I think he's a little bit more cognizant and aware of the stuff than the average person. Um, well, and, and for him too, and I, I do think it helps to be pretty niche because I think that's the other thing that happens is, you know, you have maybe some functional providers that aren't super niche. And so they just don't necessarily have the time or capacity to get extra 
skilled in IBS or SIBO or some of these other issues. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's so frustrating. I think when you hear stories like that, because it's pretty consistent. I, I don't think I've, I've interacted with many patients where I felt like their, their, um, functional medicine provider had a good, like balanced approach to nutrition. Even if they weren't assessing like the nutrition adequacy, most of them, again, are still going to prescribe a restrictive diet and not monitor the person, which is kind of a big no-no in the conventional space. I definitely think that flippantly giving someone a low FODMAP diet is really not advised. Um, There's been some papers written about the drawbacks to low FODMAP. Um, And again, a lot of this gets discussed because disordered eating is a huge concern um, in the IBS population. But again, there's also not enough RDs to potentially see everyone with IBS. So it's, it gets tricky. Um, and again, I, I don't, it's low FODMAP's not my first line intervention for IBS either, but it's just w- the way the, the diet was designed was to be sort of led by someone and to do it for a short period of time. And these nuances just aren't discussed at all because like you were saying before, a lot of the practitioners are so busy trying to find the pro- protocols that work and the labs, they're, they're so invested in the science of that and like getting downloaded with all that information that I, I think that they miss some of the fundamental pieces that are really important and maybe less flashy because I do think that, that patients tend to get drawn in by the flash as well. So just something to keep in mind too, you know, we have a bias, I think, as humans to want things to happen quickly, you know, who wouldn't want to be better and have some magical protocol that fixes them within uh, uh, 30 days, you know, I just saw a supplement that claimed to do that. Like who wouldn't want to, to have their SIBO resolve in 30 days? Like, well, and even without the timestamp on it, sorry, I cut you off there, but even if there wasn't a timestamp on it, like 30 days or 60 days, who wouldn't want the feeling of 100% certainty? Right. Like a protocol, right? Okay, we're going to work on leaky gut for 32 days. Then we're going to do antimicrobials for 46 days. Then we're going to do 21 grams of protein per meal for three days. Then we're going to, you know, it's like, the prescriptive nature of a mm. protocol feels very safe and very certain. Right. And it really scratches the itch of that like OCD bit of our brain that wants total and complete certainty. But right. as we know from our previous episodes about OCD and our discussions, that's actually like the worst thing you could do for the OCD brain right. or for people who are struggling with a great deal of anxiety. You're better off in some weird way, embracing the uncertainty of the universe and embracing the uncertainty of whatever your clinical condition is and acknowledging, okay, there is no set protocol. Like, I don't know what we're going to be working on a month from now, but I will be here with you and I'll be figuring it out right alongside you and I'm going to be holding your hand. Like, I think that's way more valuable versus trying to map out a whole protocol and then selling you on a shtick out the gate. 
and then not being able to modify anything. I think what you're describing is being comfortable with experimentation, really. That... That's something that doesn't, I think, sell as well. I think that the people that have been down the IBS road long enough, it might sell because they're like, I've tried all the protocols and nothing's worked. So I guess I could try this experimentation thing and just trust the process a little bit more. But yeah, I, I think that unfortunately, a lot of people in the IBS space, including myself, when I, I definitely lean more on the anxious we've already talked about OCD side and the like hypervigilance. And again, the, not that everyone likes discomfort, but like there tends to be a lower threshold for discomfort when, with people that struggle with anxiety, like uncomfortable feelings or sensations. And that could be sensations in the gut. The, I I think when you have a degree of hypervigilance, like you said, the the protocols feel safe and like, and I think even the testing feels something like, oh, I've tested this and I know I have it versus test. Don't guess. Right. Right. Versus, you know, I, I've, I talk on discovery calls all the time now that I don't have any testing that I run out the gate outside of maybe at requesting some basic labs if they haven't had them in a while, or if there's something that just, I think warrants some blood work, but in terms of functional testing, it's not something I typically do right out the gate. Um, and I think that some people just are turned off by that. If they've been in the functional space, they're like, well, we have to know what we're, what the root cause is. And I'm like, well, the testing might get you nowhere in terms of looking at the root cause, like actually listening to your history what has worked, what hasn't, looking at the fundamental pieces. And again, I, I think just in general, the functional space touts themselves as looking at maybe stress and nutrition and movement and all these lifestyle things. But I don't think they they teach the providers to coach around these areas and to really focus on them. The, the providers are too busy potentially learning the testing, learning the protocols, and they're focusing a lot of emphasis on that and not an emphasis on being able to coach their patients and clients on how to increase movement. Um, like what are the barriers to some of your stress management? Like these are huge pieces and they're not easy necessarily to solve. Like someone could have a lot of stress in their life that would require some pretty big changes. So I just think that there's sort of this, oh, we'll like get to that later after we get to the lab tests and the protocols. And it's just, they're putting the cart before the horse by doing that. And I think that people are very much struggling because of that. Well, honestly, it's marketing. It is. A lot of it just comes down to marketing. And we go after the shiny, the sexy things, and we're not very interested in the boring, unsexy, basic things. And, you know, like, if if you had two doctors, and both of them were reasonably sure that they could help you, would you go with the person who's like, yeah, we'll get a CBC and a thyroid panel and like, see what happens? Or would you go with like the GI map, and the Dutch test and the whatever? Right. It just... I, I think it's, again, it's that human condition that I've talked about mm. before, that we all have a little bit of I'm special syndrome, and we all have a little bit of this desire for certainty. Mm-hmm. And 
and we've been fed this. And like, again, functional medicine people, you'll see it on social media, you'll see Instagram posts, whatever it might be, you'll see it on their website, test, don't guess, they love that. They love that slogan. And, and honestly, it was ironically, it was kind of the testing that made me fall in love with functional medicine in the first place. I thought, this is really cool. We could finally know all the things. And if you just study it hard enough, if you get the books and the binders and the trainings, and you know how to interpret these magical tests that nobody else can interpret, you have to be one of the special ones. Like you can give people the answers and you can have the answers yourself. And isn't this splendid? And then I got deeper into this and I started realizing one by one that almost all of these functional medicine tests are absolute horseradish. Mm. they're not worth the paper they're printed on. I've said it once, I'll say it again. The friggin' GI map. (laughs) I did two videos in the fall of 2022. And I had some pretty major problems and some concerns with those. I had two people do split tests and got wildly different results. And I made a video about it talking about how, hey, same person did two different GI maps from the same turd the same day, and we got totally different results. This isn't really clinically usable. And the damn company threatened to sue me, and I had to take the video down off of YouTube. And I'm still bitter about it, and I'm still going to talk about it. But like, this is the thing is that these functional medicine tests are, by and large, not validated at all. Right. And they are not as good as you think they are. And they're certainly not worth the price point that you're paying for them. But what's really ironic is this is a really big marketing or selling point for functional practices. Well, you can't do this on your own. You need me. You need my special tests. You need Mm, my special brain to interpret the tests. You need my special full script store to get the special supplements to treat the things on the special tests. (laughs) You need all of my specialness. And that's why you pay me the big bucks, right? Well, but again, if the thing that we're selling off of is faulty, that everything else is going to shit underneath. And then people wonder why they're not feeling better. But the irony is that this is one of several reasons why the functional medicine world is so hoity-toity and high and bitey. Because, well, I can't believe the conventional doctors aren't ordering a GI map. I can't believe the conventional doctors aren't running a SIBO breath test. I can't believe conventional doctors aren't testing for leaky gut and candida. Have they lost their minds? I can't believe they're not testing for this. They must be negligent or ignorant or out to get us somehow. Like there must be some crooked reason why they're not ordering it. You know why they're not ordering your damn candida test and your damn GI maps? Because they know darn well they're not worth the money. They're not validated. (laughs) I'm snapping. Just stick with the stuff your normal, regular MD or DO or GI is going to order for you. Nine times out of 10, that's going to be sufficient. Right. You do not need these functional tests. They are almost universally rubbish with maybe, you know, the one exception that does come to mind, by the way, there is one. Um, probably the one and only test, which ironically is pretty cheap, that's in the functional sphere and it hasn't broken into mainstream yet. I do think there's some validity to lactulose mannitol testing for leaky gut. Yeah. But the thing is, that's not the most popular leaky gut test in the functional world. Everybody's doing the zonulin on the GI yeah. map or like the zonulin antibodies from Cyrex or something like mm-hmm. that. 
those are not very widely validated. But again, like a run-of-the-mill $200 lactulose-mannitol ratio, which is a urine test you can get from Genova for 200 bucks, that one's probably the best example of a reasonably well-validated test that is available from a functional lab. Right. But pretty much all the other ones are rubbish. And, you know, it pick pick your favorite, man. Dutch test, the oat test, the GI map, the GI effects, the... Doctor's data, stool culture, CDSA, you know, adrenal testing. It's all, it all needs to go in the garbage can, in my opinion. Food sensitivity test. My God, don't even get me started on that one. What about the one that like Everly Well that you can just like order yourself? That one's especially bad. Yeah. But again, they're all terrible. Yeah. I, I, um, yeah, it's just, it's such a bummer because again, I, I think people get lost and the testing and the protocol, the, the people and like the actual issues and the actual root causes get lost in all this yeah. uh, shiny stuff. And again, yeah. sometimes the solution is to go to couples therapy. It's like, yeah, or to work on your nutrition. Um, more often than not, it's something like that. It's nothing that a fancy test is going to come up yeah. with. You know, um, what though? there are so many people who will gladly spend a thousand dollars on the testing, if they could avoid the topic of marriage counseling with their spouse. <laughs> that's true. You know, like well, that's worth it to them on some level. I think that there's, and this is something I was trying to kind of say earlier, like there is some degree of complicit, like the people coming to the functional providers, you know, are buying into some of the promises and like the quick fix and it's so easy because it sounds so good and all that stuff. But again, it, it, it's on you too, as the the patient to be skeptical, to be critically thinking about some of this stuff and to really be fundamental focused. Like if you feel like a provider is like off in the weeds of some random level of some bacteria on the test, like I can't tell you how many providers or people I've talked to where they're like, my provider said I had this bacterial overgrowth and it's like one marker on the GI map that was elevated. And it's like, I don't really know if okay. we know this is really a big problem in the, in the, in the context of your whole microbiome. So it's like, yeah. um, you know, I, I do think as a patient, it's really important to not be sold, uh, you know, to not pick up what some of these providers are laying down and to not get sidetracked. It's really hard. Again, I think the the marketing is really strong. So again, it's really challenging. And I've been sucked in with different things as both a patient and a provider. Again, like, ooh, this cool test, you know, this would be awesome. So like, we're not immune to this stuff either. We're all humans too. But it is really p- important to remain focused and really dedicated and committed to the fundamentals, even when it is really hard or even if you're a little defensive because even as a provider I know we've talked about this like the longer we're in this sphere the more we feel like it's the coaching that really leads to progress versus like some fancy stuff like understanding the science is important and I think there are some valuable things you can glean from traditional blood work and obviously um, qualitative data like just talking to someone, hearing their history and their symptoms. Um, but again, the coaching piece is just so important. And like I said, I, I don't see providers really um, coaching people. Yeah, <laughs> It's just like it, telling them, 
this is the protocol. You do it. I'm the authority figure. You're right. the underling. You have to do this elimination diet. I would say too, I want to, I know we have to be cognizant of the time because Amy's got an appointment to hop off for, but I want to wrap up the episode with one more thought and then the kind of take home for the people. Mm -hmm. The final thought that I wanted to share real quick is I think that there's a lot of ego in functional medicine. Mm -hmm. And part of that ego thing is that they all think that they're cutting edge. Like they're special, they're doing something that their colleagues are not doing. And therefore, they are the best, they are special, they are smarter, they are superior, and they're on the cutting edge. And those dinosaurs in the the GI world who aren't doing SIBO breath testing, like, oh, I can't believe how far behind they are. And I think that there's a difference between being cutting edge and jumping on board with something too early before we have data to support its use. Mm. So for example... SIBO breath testing, like it, it sucks guys. Like it's really bad, especially lactulose. Mm. If you have a practitioner offer you a lactulose SIBO breath test, just run, run the other way and never go back to them. If it's glucose, I mean, maybe you could entertain the thought of that, but validity sake and actually getting an accurate diagnosis, SIBO breath testing is terrible. And again, like all these functional people are saying, oh, we're cutting edge. And those people who aren't doing SIBO breath testing are behind. It's like, no, the people in the conventional space who refuse to do a SIBO test, they probably know better. And, and ironically, like I've heard this as a point of frustration from people. Well, my GI doctor said SIBO isn't real. I don't know. Maybe your GI doctor has a point. (laughs) Maybe you should hear about on that opinion. I'm not saying that SIBO is not real. I think that there's somewhere in between the two sides that is the truth. But I do think that SIBO is being hella overdiagnosed. Right. Right. As one really easy example. Um, But now to wrap us up for a minute here, what advice would you have for somebody listening? And they're thinking, oh, crap, there goes, there goes this idea. What can the people do at home to give them a little bit more direction or a little bit more like, um, you know, next steps or tips if they want to work with a functional provider, like how do they navigate this and how do they make sure that they find a good provider and not somebody who's just a charlatan and going to scam them out of a ton of money doing a million GI maps? Yeah, it's a really good question. I mean, I would maybe assess what the website is if the the clinician has a website, if it looks pretty good and, and it looks like there is some focus on fundamentals. Again, if you're seeing no focus on fundamentals, I think that that's problematic. If you have a discovery call with the provider and it's like, we do these tests on every single person. And then like, if it feels very protocol-y, that would be a big red flag for me. Um, I would hope that they mention talking about stress, movement, nutrition, lifestyle. I always emphasize that on my client calls that like that's a huge part of the work I do. Um, And again, I say I'm not as heavily invested in testing. Again, I recommend traditional blood work. So, you know, I think you can kind of get a gauge, but you have to be critically thinking. Just keep your guard up. Um, I think once you do pick someone try to trust them but if you're if you have a like if something comes up that doesn't feel right talk it through with the provider and be open and honest with the provider yeah i i think that's a good summary i think like you said 
Um, the nice thing about the internet is that some people like us have enough of an online presence that we can, you, you can kind of get a sense for like what we do and what we focus on and our opinions on things long before you ever meet us in person. Right. So if the person has a podcast or a YouTube channel or Instagram or TikTok, you can get to know them a little bit that way. Uh, if they offer discovery calls like Amy and I do, you can ask them questions and get to know them and get to know their take on things in the discovery call a bit. And just you could ask them point blank. Do we focus on these fundamentals like movement and sleep and nutrition? And mm-hmm. like, you know, are you are you going to have me do an elimination diet and cut a lot of foods out? And how do we balance nutritional adequacy with that if we do go on that path? And like, on average, how many supplements would you say your average patient takes Good in question. a month? Right? Yeah. Like, I'm, I'm aiming for somewhere in the ballpark of like two to four products if I can get away right. with it. Maybe occasionally a little bit more. But if somebody's saying that most of their patients are on eight to 10 products, I'd run for the hills, man. Mm. That's a bad sign. And then similarly, if you get partway into working with them and you're leaving with like three, $400 worth of pills in a bag every single time, I probably would not continue working with that person. I think that there's got to be a mixture of free and cheap and expensive things that you do. And that could be, you know, from like the nutritional and the blood work perspective, Mm. like, okay, maybe you do a lot of free and cheap lab work from like quest. And then maybe you do a single functional medicine test. And maybe you do a lot of your work with free things like sleep hygiene and stress management and breath work. And then maybe you have a little bit of a budget for supplements or whatever. So I I think that those are some things to really think through as you're shopping around for a provider. Um, I hope that this episode was helpful and it didn't just seem like we're a bunch of negative Nancy's trying to bring you down. Uh, Functional medicine has some redeeming qualities, but you've got to go in with your eyes wide open and be aware because there are a lot of charlatans who are just going to soak you for a lot of money and not get you any better. So uh, on that bummer of a note, (laughs) take care and we'll see you in the next episode. Bye.